You're listening to a Benstown and McVeigh Media Podcast Network production. Run It Again is an inside look at the players, the coaches, and the business of sports with former NFL star and broadcaster Ron Pitts. And two minutes later, I was back in the same Oklahoma drill that I got the concussion from. And the mastermind behind the greatest show on turf, Coach Mike Marks. And we want to force him into a vanilla defense and go to work. Run It Again is a hard-hitting, no BS podcast that connects you directly to the source. This is Run It Again. Welcome to Run It Again. Now, here's Ron Pitts with the coach, Mike Marks. Hey, everybody. I'm Ron Pitts. And today on Run It Again with my co-host, Mike Marks, we had the opportunity to visit with former Oakland Raiders CEO, Amy Trask. Here's our conversation with Amy as we discussed her working days with Al Davis and her book, You Negotiate Like a Girl. And, of course, in true Raider form, Amy did this interview from a top-secret classified location. Please enjoy. I am in a location um, which is there's a lot of construction going on outside. It's not our construction, but it is right near us and it's very loud. So in order to have a nice conversation with you men, I am essentially hidden in a closet. And I just didn't think it would be a good look to have video of me talking from a closet. These days, Amy, that actually might be a good thing. <laughs> no, because then you then you might see which closet I'm in and you yeah. might see what. Yeah, no, 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 no. Ixnay on the closet. Yeah. Oh, well, OK. We just want to say thank you uh, for joining. Yeah, us it's here. good. Good. To have oh, you. my gosh. Thank you, men, for having me on. It's um, it's a pleasure. It's an honor. And I'm delighted. So we, we are here at the Run It Again podcast. Ron Pitts, Mike Martz and uh, our Emmy Award winning producer, Mr. Roy Hamilton. And we have a very special guest, boy, someone we've been trying to get on the show for quite some time. And uh, she's finally here, if by audio only. And that works for us. And, <laughs> and this is former Oakland Raiders CEO and CBS Network analyst, Amy Trask. Ladies and gentlemen, give it up. Give it up. There we go. Hey, all right. Amy, how are you? <laughs> I am well. I thank you for having me on. I'm a, I, I'm, I am a fan of your current work. And was a big fan of yours when you both coached and played respectively in the National Football League. So thank you for having oh, me. Amy, we, we appreciate it. And uh, we, we always love to talk with you. I know we we seem to bump into each other now and then. I think you were down at the Fox Studios about a year ago. We were we were chatting then. And so it's always it's always good to talk to you. I, I guess I'll just start with, um, you know, you're you're a, a, an L.A. girl. You're. Born and raised in Brentwood, right? I, I did grow up in Los Angeles, in West Los Angeles, um, yep. and I'm back here now. And you know what? Uh-huh. Um, we have a saying here because so many people have such harsh feelings about Los Angeles, specifically California I in general, that. which is, yeah. you know what? If you guys don't like it, we're okay with that. We're good here. You know, we're good with the fact that we can define fall as under 75 degrees and winter as under 70 degrees. So we're okay. That's right. That's exactly right. Yeah. And uh, you went to law school at USC. Now, me being a Bruin, I, you know, I have to swallow hard when I, I say that. But, you know, what what a career. And I'm going to I know you get asked this question all the time, but I'll start with how you ended up at the Raiders 
And I, I, I understand it started as an internship back in 83. Is that, a, is that right? It, you are absolutely right. But I need to clear one thing up because the okay. whole going to USC for graduate school was a hard adjustment <laughs> for this cow bear to make. Right. I did, oh, that's I, right. You I, right. right. I did yeah. my undergraduate work at Cal and um, then had the good fortune of, of going to law school. And uh, it was made clear to me by my uh, dad, who was just tremendously generous in educating all of us as much as we wished, uh, that that was going to be in California. So choosing among California schools, I chose USC. I'm thrilled that I did. I, I, the education I received there was phenomenal, but it was a big adjustment. And I will tell you that to this day, I am for football rooting purposes, a cow bear. I'll go with that. I nice. will go with that. Mike, we're going to go with that. <laughs> <laughs> it's so good to have you, Amy. I know you guys this all the time probably, but uh, what's your most favorite uh, recollection of, of working with Al? Oh, um, and just one sec, I, I failed to answer your last question. I did start my career with the Raiders as an intern, and it was in 1983. So you're right in both regards. And that's a great tie in to the, to the question that was just asked about my favorite memory, uh, because I did have interactions with Al when I was an intern. And then when I joined the organization full time um, shortly after my couple years as an intern, uh, boy, I don't. Oh, okay. Here's, I was going to say, I don't think I could pick one special memory in um, almost 30 years. There were many, many, many special memories, but here's one that comes to mind. Uh, we were in a meeting in our offices, in our Raider offices. It was a meeting with a business with whom I very, very much wanted us to establish a business relationship. And I asked Al to join the meeting as I thought that would be very meaningful to our guests. So he came in, he said, sure. And he can't, well, he didn't exactly say sure. There were some expletives associated with that, <laughs> but ultimately he said, sure. And he joined the meeting. And when he walked in, he introduced himself to, to all the people from the other business who were already in our conference room with me and a few others on our staff. And he walked around and there was one woman who was with the group of visitors we had. And he very graciously said, you know, I'll try, I try very, very hard not to swear in front of women. And I start looking around at my coworkers like, did he just say what I think he said? Because that ain't true. I, you know, and I'm looking at them like, did I hear that right? He then goes on to say to this woman who was visiting our offices, and even if I, you know, inadvertently slip and I swear in front of you, I want you to know I never swear at women. Well, now I, I am just stunned oh and the look of incredulity oh my on my face. Well, I was so shocked that the pen I was holding in my hand like flew out of my hand. It landed on the conference room table with a loud thump. So Al looks over at me, sees the expression on my face, immediately realizes what I'm thinking. And he says, and this is one of the most special things he ever said to me. He said, oh, Amy. I swear at Amy, but I don't consider her a woman. And there was no greater compliment he could have paid to me. Yeah, the point yeah. being, he wasn't concerned about, interested in, thinking about, focused on gender. His focus is right. whether I could do the job. And look, man, for you know, you'll have people listening to your podcast who are Raider fans and those who are Raider haters, people who loved Al 
people who couldn't stand him. But if we're all being intellectually honest, um, we can agree, we should agree that this is someone who hired without regard to race, gender, ethnicity, or any other individuality, which has no bearing on whether one can do a job. And that's the way everyone should hire. So when he said, oh, Amy, I swear at Amy, but I don't consider her a woman, that spoke to the manner in which he hired. Mm-hmm. That's right. I hired Art Shell, uh, the, the first African-American head coach in the NFL. Uh, and I, Tom Flores. I, and Tom Flores. Yeah. Yep, that's right. Yeah. Wow. That's, uh, you know, Amy, whenever we've talked and I, I always go back and I, I got to be careful how I choose my words here in the climate we're in these days. I always considered that there were only a few women that I had ever met that really knew football. And one of them was my mother because she was married to an NFL player and went through the travels of, of that. Okay. And then the other one was you, because every time we talked football, and I remember when I went up there to do a game, a Raider game, and I can't remember what year it was, but you came in the conference room and sat down with me, and I was like, wow, you just opened up the playbook on what was going on and who I need to watch and who can do this and who can do that. And I said, you know, so she, she really knows the game. And obviously you wouldn't have been there. I wouldn't have had you in the building if you didn't. Where did you learn football like that? Well, I'll say off the bat um, and then come to your question. Shouldn't we all know the businesses in which we work? I mean, you know, if someone was working for um, an engineering company, one sure better understand engineering. And for the record, I do not understand engineering. (laughs) Uh, But as to football, I fell in love with the game of football when I was in junior high. It was the first time I had ever attended a game. It was a junior high school football game. And by the way, you kids today that are listening, when I was in junior high, it was seven through nine, none of this six through eight business. Uh, Um, (laughs) So um, I fell in love with the game. And one of the things or or the the biggest thing um, that attracted me to the game is Yes, it is a game of speed and power and strength, but it is also a very intellectual game, a cerebral game. It is a game of chess with very fast, very strong, very powerful chess pieces. I need not tell you two as experts of the game as you both are, it's a game of matchups. How do I exploit the matchups to my benefit? How do I prevent you from exploiting matchups to your benefit? How do my corners cover your receivers? How can my pass protection stand up to your pass rush? That's what the game is. And I just fell in love with the game of football. And look, I had the tremendous, tremendous, great fortune of being able to learn more and more and more about the game from men like Al Davis. Al, you know, he never minced words. Look, I would go into his office after practice, whether I had a document for him to sign or a topic to discuss with him or a question to ask for whatever reason. And I would have to sit there and wait while he went through practice tape. Actually, when I started, mm-hmm. I think it was actually film. But we film, walked, you know, film. he was sitting in his chair <laughs> with his little remote clicker watching practice. And I would try to get him to sign something or ask him something. And shh, wait a minute wait a minute. And so I would end up watching practice with him. He would answer every single question that I had. Um, There were so many times I would say to him, well, 
if I was defensive coordinator and his immediate response was you're not. And we went on to watch the, the practice <laughs> wow. together. But I also wow. learned from men like Bill Walsh. I remember the times when Al and Bill would sit and discuss X's and O's and I'd be in the room and, you know, Bill, like many other men around the league, they just answered my questions. There was no issue about she's a girl or what does she know? So I had the opportunity to learn from the best. Wow. Amy, you have a, you have a unique position uh, and perspective on the rest of the league since you've been so involved with it. In your opinion, who are the, who are the better run organizations in the league? Ooh, that's a great question. Um, you know, um, I have long said, and I continue to believe, and I can't imagine I will ever change my view on this. Everything starts with ownership of a business. Because even though the owner of any business, not just a football team, can delegate authority and can delegate responsibility, ultimate authority, ultimate responsibility lies with ownership. Because even if that authority or responsibility is delegated, that delegation can always be yanked back at any given moment. So I think it all begins with ownership. And look, we've seen stronger, better general managers and stronger, mm -hmm. better coaches. But ultimately, I think it begins with ownership. And I will tell you something off the bat that's going to surprise a lot of your listeners, I think. I think one of the, the, the best ownership groups in the league are the New England Patriots and the Kraft family. Um, they mm -hmm. are, a, a, you know, I, I would put them at the top of the list. I can certainly think, um, and I will continue to think of more, but that's when I put at the very top of the list because of the manner in which they run their organization. And look, um, as to coaches, I think Bill Belichick is the best NFL head coach of all time. And the reason I say all time, and I get pushback when I say that, I get the, but, 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 you know, what about Vince Lombardi? But, 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 and that's not in any way to minimize coaches who came before him, but none of those men were coaching during the era of free agency as we know it now of a salary cap. So there are a lot more complicating factors to building and maintaining a roster. So I, you know, I think very, very highly of the Kraft family and the manner in which they run that organization. I had the fortune of serving on a league committee run by Jonathan Kraft and was very impressed with his leadership as well as that of his father's. Um, and I put Bill at the top of the list of coaches, but yes, it was a fumble. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 It would have been a different Super Bowl that year, wouldn't it? Right. So. Yeah. Amy, <laughs> uh, since we're on the topic of, of, of coaches here and we've talked about some some great ones, uh, let me throw one more name in here, which I, I'm sure you're, you're very familiar with uh, John Madden. And uh, Fox is going to run a special on John Madden here uh, in, in a few weeks. Give me your thoughts on John and the, the consummate Raider coach, I, I always thought, just in terms of, you know, the persona and, and, and the, the character and the personality. What, what was it like talking to him, being around John? Well, I did have the great fortune of being around him and of speaking with him on innumerable occasions over the almost 30 years I was with the team. But I want to note, just so there's no misunderstanding from anyone listening to this, because I know you men know this. I was not with the organization when he was the coach. I knew that, right. Um, I, I know yeah. you knew that, but I wanted yeah, to make sure I wasn't in any way misleading that's right. your, um, misleading those who follow you, misleading Absolutely. your fans. Um, I joined the organization after John had finished his coaching with the Raiders. But 
he remained tremendously involved with the organization. Not only was he at every home game once he stopped traveling with the network uh, for which he was broadcasting. Um, mm-hmm. He was at, I saw him at every home game after his travels were over. I really? saw him innumerable mm-hmm. other times. He came into the office very, very often. He was um, one of what I would call a handful of Al's closest confidants and, and closest um, you know, the, the people in his inner circle. And um, there's so much about John that does resonate with Raider fans and um, the videos we see of him when he was coaching, it just tremendous. And he remained very, very um, much a part of the organization, even after he was done coaching, he very, very unique man. How, how would Al Davis handle social media today (laughs) now i really do wish i was on video because i'm having what my husband refers to as one of my giggle fits although maybe it's better i'm sparing everyone the look on my face look we had a discussion with al about that at one point um involved in a very sort of heated discussion of which there were many and you know what heated discussions are great disagreement is great um i disagreed with al over the 30 years I was with the team, more than I agreed with him. And disagreement can be healthy and can be productive. But this was one of those moments where we were really disagreeing about something. And um, he just sort of barked something out. I was not involved in social media when I was with the organization. I was not involved in Twitter, nothing of the sort. And he said something to me very, very angrily about, um, well, you know, you can have meaning the, the team's account because I didn't have one. Well, you know, if you want to say that, you can just go twit that because he thought Twitter, <laughs> you referred to it as twits, Wait not that. as tweets. <laughs> and then um, I said, I said back to him, I barked back, well, we'll just get you your own Twitter account and you can tweet what you want to tweet. And someone who was in the meeting with me immediately sent me an email under the table, which, you know, he wasn't under the table, his device was under the table, (laughs) as was my device under the table. And I saw what he said and just started laughing. He suggested a name for Al's Twitter account um, that, of course, we never set up. And I won't say on your podcast oh, what it was. Boy. But Amy, you say, know we want to hear that well, name gonna, now. I'm gonna, I'm gonna oh, my gosh. I'm, I'm going <laughs> to rhyme it, okay? He said, we'll set up an account for Al, and it will be at aw, and then the word he put in rhymed with truck. Because <laughs> oh, yeah. Al used to say "aw truck," only it wasn't yeah. truck a yeah. lot. So you know the joke mm. was, and then we laughed, and we all kind of had a good rest of the meeting. Oh, wow, Al actually, I thought I had a great sense of humor. You know, at the owners' meetings, I'd run into him quite often, and we'd end up in the bar with him occasionally. <laughs> yeah. Listen, Coach Marks, tell me about that um, those protections that y'all doing over there. You know. He just, went, <laughs> he, and he, he, he had such a great subtle sense of humor, you know, and he just, he really did. Um, entertaining as hell to be with. I'm, you know, I just, I'm, I'm glad you raised that. And I can just picture him there in that bar drinking his uh, diet Pepsi or, yeah, yeah, I think it was a diet Pepsi because he didn't drink. Uh, no, but, no. Um, I can just picture him doing that because, first of all, you're right. He had a very, very good um, intellectual sense of humor. And it wasn't, Often that he used that, but when he did, I mean, my gosh, it was just hilarious. But I will tell you this, when he was asking you that, 
it wasn't just humor. He he wanted to oh, pick every know. good football yeah. brain he could. <laughs> yeah, he and did. so I am absolutely confident that standing next to you, he saw, okay, let me see what I can get out of Mart. Because you, of course, were <laughs> yeah. a football. You, he respected the heck out of you. He respected your football acumen and your coaching and your football prowess. So you might have thought a nice conversation, what he thought was an opportunity to pick your brain. Well, it was fun to listen to him talk about football in general and the people involved with it. And uh, he was just, he was just uh, it was a, it surprised me because I just, uh, he's such a right to the point person, you know, I mean, he's blunt as all get out. But uh, just some of the things that he was saying, I just really enjoyed the evening, the conversation. It was, you know, I look forward to it every year seeing him back there. <laughs> he was direct. Um, he was forthright. He did not mince words. He did not beat around the no. bush. And, you know, that may have been one of the things that enabled us to work for with one another for as long as we did. I have been told throughout my life that I am direct to a fault, to which I reply, I don't think there's any fault to be taken with being direct. No. Uh, I think the world could be a lot better if we were a lot more direct in many regards. Honesty is what it's called. Yep. Right? He's <laughs> not more honest, right. forthright person in the world than he was. You know, he just, uh, he didn't hide anything. I mean, this is a tough question to ask, but I want to ask you anyway, oh. and you don't have to answer it. But uh, the Washington thing, what's going on back there? Um, is this, the league just does not look good going through all that. And then John, whether it's grant whether it's warranted or not, whatever that doesn't make any difference, but he's the only one that came out of that deal. Why is that? Well, I, um, I'll, I'll answer that sort of in reverse order. Um, you know, when the story initially broke, when that first email uh, from John to Bruce Allen was leaked on the Friday before um, a weekend of games. And, and I'm just distinguishing as between that initial one that leaked on the Friday and then the ones that came out on the Monday. Um, but from the moment the first one leaked, and my view didn't change when the rest of them were leaked, um, I never believed, I still don't believe, that it was the league itself behind those leaks. Um, and I also don't believe that anyone necessarily had it out for John. I believe there were other desires, other goals in mind, and that the person or persons who leaked that didn't mind that John was, um, yeah. you know, sacrificed. I don't know the word I'm looking for, that he was a byproduct, if you will. In other words, I don't believe that the league leaked the, those emails I don't believe that the intent was to go after John. Oh, um, casualty that, you know, yeah. he was a collateral a, was, damage. Of, thank yeah. you. I was hunting for the right word. Yeah. The, the person or the persons who leaked that certainly did not at a minimum did not care that he was collateral damage. But I don't yeah, no think question. the intent was necessarily to go after John. And I certainly don't believe that it was the league that did so. It was obviously um, a person or persons who had access to the emails and maybe I, I believe are connected with the league, but I don't believe it was the league office. And I don't believe the intent was to doom John, but clearly nobody cared that he was collateral damage. Now let's get back to the dooming, if you will, of John, because that gets to me to your first question. Um, the content of those emails was horrific. It was just absolutely horrible. Um, I think I'll use every bad H word I can think of. Horrific, horrendous, horrible. To me, also heartbreaking. 
because, um, and maybe the word is poignant, but I wanted to use another H word, uh, because they were leaked initially on the anniversary of Al's death. Mm. And for that mm. sort of hatred and bigotry to come out on the anniversary of the death of a man who um, was the exemplar of the opposite was very, very heartbreaking for me. Um, as to the emails, yes, there's been focus on the fact that this was in email, but I think the focus needs to be on the fact that this is what was in John's heart and in John's mind. And yes, he ultimately put them in an email. And the reason I note that is one doesn't write those sort of things in emails if one doesn't believe them. And one doesn't send emails of that nature to anyone one doesn't believe, agree, either know or agree, uh, believe, either knows, agrees, or believes, agrees with him. John's not writing that to someone he didn't have confidence would either agree with him or accept those or believe the same thing. So my point in shared views, yeah, yeah. yeah, shared views. Um, my point in sharing all of that as inarticulately as I did is I said at the time that we need to not let this story be one that simply is, as so many things this day, the subject of attention on one day and forgotten a few days later. Because mm -hmm. all of what was expressed in those emails, the hatred, the bigotry, the misogyny, the homophobia, the racism, all of that, that's not simply a problem unique to the National Football League. It's a problem throughout society. It's a problem throughout this country. It's a problem throughout this world. Not society as a whole, not the country as a whole, not the world as a whole, but in large segments of society, of the country, of the world. And I would just hope that we would take this moment in time to say, we're not simply going to focus on the story and what it means to coaching or the NFL or the Raiders, but to focus on a bigger problem and figure out how to fix it. No question. Thank you. Well said, uh, Amy. Another question, though, what I was really kind of the rest of it, and there's so much in that investigation that has not been revealed that is probably just as horrific as what John has um, been exposed as. What's happening with that, do you think? I mean, what's the purpose of that investigation if they go in there and they see all this and they don't do anything with it? Well, and that's sort of where I was heading again quite poorly stated with the let's not have this be a story for two days and then fall off the radar screen yeah. because there is a lot more that has gone on there um, that we we have not seen that we are not aware of. I'm a big believer in transparency. I think um, the league would be wise to be far more transparent than it has been. Congress yeah. has initiated an inquiry, but that no longer seems to be a topic on the table, if you will. It's no longer uh, something that's being discussed regularly. We don't know if that will just sort of float away or if Congress will stick to its guns and look into it. Um, I don't know what the outcome, if any, will be. Um, if that fades away, you know, I'm quite confident there are many people who want this whole story to fade away. But if we let things fade away, we don't learn and we don't grow and we don't improve. Why do you think it is uh, backburnered like this or, or not brought to the forefront? Oh, I, it, I, I think that anytime someone doesn't want um, things to become public, that, that's exactly the hope that it, that it gets backburnered. Um, you know, look, I don't think this is unique to this particular incident, or it's not an incident, this particular issue. Um, but I, I think that's in many ways who we are right now as a society, something that is a huge story 
on day one, three days later, people aren't talking about it anymore. And again, that's not unique to this incident or this issue. That's not unique to the league. But how many times do you guys see something or learn of something, hear of something in the news that's considered a huge story? And a week later, it's not even talked about anymore. We're a very ephemeral society. Yeah. I guess uh, what I was getting at, the league itself is is sat on this. For some reason, it must be pretty inflammatory to do that. You know, um, it must be pretty bad, I guess, for lack of a better term, to sit on it and not do anything about it because of the effect it have on the league. Well, look, I don't know what's in the rest of those emails. I'll tell you that, you know, having gone to law school, um, I'm loath to speculate uh, because if I don't yeah. see something or read something right. um, myself, I don't speculate mm-hmm. as to issues that may exist. But I will also tell you on perhaps a somewhat humorous news uh, note that having gone to law school, one of my first, if not my very first thought upon hearing that there were 650,000 emails was, oh boy, oh boy, that's a lot of legal fees involved in reading those emails. <laughs> yeah. I, yeah, I started like, to actually yeah. do the math and I thought, well, how many emails could you read in an hour? And then how many hours would it take to go through 650,000 emails? And how many lawyers would bill for how many hours? It was like a word problem. And then I remembered I can't do word problems. So I stopped. <laughs> yeah. wow. Hey, Amy, I, my, my father, uh, back in the day, he, he would always say, uh, the NFL is always on us you know, as coaches and players about having gambling ties. And he said, <laughs> and he said the NFL will never be involved in gambling, you know, on a consistent basis. It's a no, no, don't do this. And as players and Mike, you remember this, we were always slapped on the hand. You know, if, if you ever even ventured into that area and associated with the NFL, that was the old NFL. What would what would Al Davis say right now uh, at the partnering that has happened with gambling overall and NFL football? What, what are your thoughts on that? Well, just so you know, it wasn't only players who were restricted from doing that. It was every single person on yes. team staff. So, yeah. um, you know, I, I was, all of us were under the same restrictions players were under in terms of um, gambling, associating with gambling, doing anything involved with gambling. Um, the restrictions were so great, they were impact, they impacted my husband and his career as well. Because when you read the letter of the law as to what people could invest in, and my husband is an investor, um, he was prohibited from investing in companies that were engaged in gambling. So my point in noting that was during my years in the league, those gambling restrictions applied not only to players, but to me and also to my spouse. So there you go. Wow. Um, you know, I think Al would be very, very wise in his analysis of this. Uh, you know, gambling is part of it. Look, look what the country's done. I mean, gambling is legal now um, in many, many, many municipalities, mm-hmm. many states, many yep. venues. Look, when I was a kid, you wanted to gamble legally. People, I wasn't gambling when I was a kid. Let me make that clear. But when I was younger, if one wanted to gamble, one had to go to Las Vegas if one wanted to do it legally in this country, or one had to go to Nevada if one wanted to do it legally in this country, or people did it offshore. Um, But now it's not just the NFL that has embraced gambling. It is the country, not as an entirety, but many, many states with more states to come, I'm sure, have embraced it. It's just a different, different world. I think Al would be very, very wise and note that 
okay, this is the reality now, but we got to be very, very, very careful to protect the integrity of the game. And there could be issues raised even when someone's doing nothing wrong. For example, let's say a team um, is in Vegas to play the Raiders one weekend. Um, And let's say a player on that team, or even let's say a Raider player on a night off, you you guys know Friday's practice ends early. Many players, um, if there's a Sunday game, go out with friends or family, take their wife, their, their significant other, and they go out to dinner. Well, let's say a player goes out to dinner at a very, very nice restaurant that happens to be housed in a casino. And let's say the player and his wife are walking through that, or his significant other, are walking through that casino to go to the restaurant. Mm -hmm. And a fan stops him and says, hey, 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 can we get our picture with you? And the player is gracious and generous with his time and does what all of us involved with the league hope, which is says, sure, I'll take a picture with you, and turns around, stands next to the fan, and a picture's snapped. Unknown to the player, They're standing in front of signage that says sports betting (laughs) and the line. Yeah. And they have, there's a sports betting room. Now this, in my example, this player has not only not done anything wrong, he's done everything right. He took his time on his night off to pose for a picture with a fan as everyone associated with every team hopes a player will do. And yet there's a picture of a player standing with a fan in front of sports gambling, sports betting signage. Now, let's say the next two days later on Sunday, that player misses a block Mm -hmm. or a few, drops a pass or a few, throws an interception or a few. There will be those who suggest something nefarious was afoot, even though there was not in my example. So, you know, I think that there are a lot of things the league is going to have to watch out for. I'm sure they're focused on them and it's, it's going to be a delicate situation. Yeah. And it's not just the players. Like you mentioned, I I worry about other people in the organization, you know, that live in the city that have a foothold in the city uh, that, that could be compromised. You know, it's hard enough getting guys and people in the organization to just stay focused on one task for, you know, 16 weeks, 17 weeks of the season. And I just, I'm just curious to see how that organization is going to keep things from happening. Like you mentioned, Amy stuff, you know, with all that around you and it'll be interesting. It'll be interesting. Well, you know, when I was with the team, you know, I voiced, um, by the way, talking about you were talking about your dad and how he was saying there would never, ever be gambling. Well, I'll take you back yeah. to a point in my career. Um, we were the first team to put anything on our website about fantasy football. Now, it wasn't a mm-hmm. sign up here to play. It wasn't a um, interactive. You can play fantasy football here. It was just a piece on fantasy football within minutes. I think it was seconds, but maybe it was 60 seconds. 90 seconds, very, very shortly after we posted that, my phone rings and it was my private line at my desk and I pick it up and it's an executive from the league office. And he says three words, four words, Amy, take it down. (laughs) So it wasn't that long ago, although given how long ago, you know, I mean, given how many years I was with the team, some people may say it was long ago, but in the scheme of things, it wasn't that long ago that the league prohibited teams from putting fantasy football information on their website. They've done a 180, haven't they? 
Well, and by the way, I, you know, I expressed during my years of the league, I don't think it's appropriate, not that it's illegal, but I don't think that it's appropriate for people on staff. I'm not talking about players. Players have at it, have at it. But I don't think it's appropriate for non-player staff to play fantasy football, not for reasons related to gambling, but because I don't think it's nice. I mean, let's say you're the C, let's say you're the accountant for a team or you're the lawyer. Let's say you're the general counsel of a team and you have a fantasy football team and you have a choice whether to start your own quarterback, the guy that plays for your real life team because you drafted him or another team's quarterback or same thing for a running back or a receiver. You can play the guy that's on your real life team or someone on another team and you play someone on another team. I just don't think that's, you know, I'm going to sound like a third grader when I say this. I don't think that's nice, mom. And I would say, you know, how would you feel if you're the team's general counsel and the players on your organization did a fantasy front office league and they dress and they, and then all of a sudden you find out that the players in your locker room aren't playing you. They're playing the general counsel from another team. It's just not nice. What what about the fact, Amy, that they also are privy to like, like in stocks and, and the stock market and investing, they are privy to insider information that other people aren't. Boy, I didn't even look at it that way. You know, like, like, let's say they come in at work at eight o'clock and, you know, they're hearing the reports all week that uh, John Smith will play at start at quarterback this week. No problem. He's going to start. But he overhears two guys talking to players saying, yeah, man, I'm definitely down. I'm not playing. Yeah. But we're just okay. going to tell the media where we will play, you know, just to keep it squelched. Okay. Um, uh, that's a fine. You get fine. Yeah. You, you can't squelch the information, but I do understand your point. As no, but no, what I'm saying. Yeah. Yeah. That they, this guy, they haven't said anything to anyone. Right. I know it's illegal, but the only person that knows about it is this employee going up to to his office in the seventh floor to work. And he hears him say that he now has information that no one else has. I am now going to declare that for your next adventure and with a circle around A.D., because it's not only an adventure, but a venture, (laughs) you ought to write spy novels. Yeah, (laughs) Tom Clancy. And I'll join you on that. That's that's a goal of mine someday. I got a great idea for a spy novel. Wait, wait, speaking of novels, your book, You Negotiate Like a Girl. When when did you write that book? Uh, I wrote it, I would say, within a year or two after I left the Um, after I left the Raiders. That's what I Um, thought. Yeah, Yeah. I wrote it back then. And, you know, um, the You Negotiate Like a Girl title came from Mike Freeman, who was gracious and and agreed to help me write a book because I love to write and I just wrote and wrote and wrote and wrote and wrote, but I'd never written a book. So I had no idea how to make it into chapters and things like that. And Mike graciously agreed to help me and he may still be recovering from the trauma. But um, I shared in the book a story about being told you negotiate like a girl. And Mike had, I had some serious, boring title in mind for the book. And Mike said, why don't you name it? Why don't we title it? You negotiate like a girl. So we did. And the ending of that story was the person who said to me, you negotiate like a girl when the negotiation was complete. And I had achieved the highest value ever up to that date for a sale of the nature. I walked back into his office and I think we know who I'm talking (laughs) about. And I said, yeah, like a girl. And I dropped the documents (laughs) on his desk for him to sign. Oh, that's great. That's great. All right. Well, Amy, I, we've taken way too much of your time. Are you still in that closet? Have you been in there the whole time? 
I assert my rights under the Fifth Amendment of the Constitution of the United States to not answer that question. I am, I, am, I am hiding away from the construction noise so it won't interfere with your great podcast. Oh, you've been great, Amy. I, I, we appreciate it. Always love to talk to you. Love to talk football. And uh, Mike, if you got anything else. Uh, no, it's a wonderful to have you on, Amy. I sure appreciate your great. insight. Yeah. Well, I appreciate you inviting me to join you. I am, and well, I have been for many, many years and remain a big fan of both of you. Um, and this was a great honor. So thank you. All right, Amy. Thank you. you take care. I'm Ron Pitts with the coach, Mike Martz, and we hope you enjoyed this episode. And a special thank you to our good friend, Amy Trask, for stopping by. Like what you're hearing on Run It Again? Well, let us know by leaving us a review on Apple. Be sure to join us next Tuesday for a new episode as we discuss the NFL playoff picture. It's heating up. Don't forget to visit us at runitagainpodcast.com and make sure you hit that subscribe button. Remember, folks, we're just two old pros trying to make you think a little. So long, everybody, and happy holidays. Run It Again with Ron Pitts and Coach Mike Martz is a Benstown and McVeigh Media Podcast production. Executive produced by Roy Hamilton, producer Ed Maloney, and technical engineer is Kevin Horton. You can follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter by searching at Run It Again Podcast.